podcast we are here with episode number 13 um, and I'm very excited once again to be here with you and spending this lovely time that we do together every Thursday and yeah let's just get into it shall we so my book review this week is maybe a little bit left field um, <laughs> it's a fiction book but it is in no way or maybe not no way it's not overtly witchy um, but bear with me because I think you're going to be interested in it anyway um, you know, there's a reason why I picked it, but it's also not related to today's interview either. <laughs> so uh, we're just going for random, okay? We're just going around random today. And I, yeah, so I hope that's all right with you. The book I am bringing you this week is The Mad Woman's Ball by Victoria Mass. It was first published in 2021 and it was originally published in French, you know, because the, uh, the author is French and was translated into English by Frank Wynne. So uh, I think we better have a synopsis so you know what I'm talking about. Let's go. The women's ball is the highlight of the social season. For the women themselves, it's a rare moment of hope. So I just need to preface here actually that um, I am going to probably pronounce all of these names wrong um, or differently to how you might pronounce them. So I apologize in advance if you have any of these names and I have, yeah, not, done them justice so um anyway Genevieve is a senior nurse after the childhood death of her sister she has shunned religion and placed her faith in Dr Charcot and his new science but everything begins to change when she meets Eugenie the 19 year old daughter of a bourgeois family because Eugenie has a secret and she needs Genevieve's help their fates will collide on the night of the mad woman's ball so where do I even start so um this story is it follows um a selection of women who are all in uh, an asylum so this is taking place in about the uh, like you know like victorian uh, france essentially and the main character i mean there's two protagonists there's genevieve the nurse and there's also eugenie the um one of the patients so and it kind of explores these themes of um I mean, it's quite distressing. I do have to kind of maybe point that out first. It's um, the themes are not nice, um, but I mean that's the point of the book. It's meant to be kind of exploring this, um, just the the atrocities and like the things that um, women had to suffer and um, you know be be punished for. So, for example, there is a um, a woman in the asylum who um, throws her fiance off a bridge because he essentially forces her into sex work. Um, and things like that uh just horrible horrible things that have happened to these women and then they end up getting locked up because they're either too old or they've got a genuine mental health issue and it's too difficult to look after them so they get chucked away or they're just inconvenient so they're all just kind of thrown into this asylum very distressing um very interesting kind of commentary um i think what i wanted to include this i mean the uh one of the main characters eugenie so the one who then becomes a um, a patient or an inpatient in this asylum she is very gifted i don't want to know if i want to give it away i don't want to give any way any too many spoilers but she has a gift okay and it is actually quite a witchy gift which is why i thought actually it's probably still relevant to talk to my wonderful podcast listeners about um and then it's something that you wouldn't you know how if you practice witchcraft now um you might not always feel comfortable i mean we've never felt comfortable kind of like outwardly expressing that you know um hence the term being in the broom closet <laughs> um so 
all of those fears come to life with Eugenie, okay? So she shares her secret, her, shares her gift with her grandmother, who um, then dobs her in, basically, tells her, tells her dad, dad goes and dumps her off in this um, asylum. So um, without giving too much away, that, that's kind of what happens in the story. Again, very distressing, especially if you are a witch um, or practice witchcraft or have some kind of um, identity that is uh, not of social norm. Do you know what I mean? I think it relates to a lot of us and we all have those kind of wounds and relates to a lot of us in those sorts of ways. Um, so yeah, that is, a, that is a warning before you read it because it could be quite triggering. So there were some really broad themes and concepts that were really interesting um, and I definitely think worth a read because overall I did really enjoy reading this book um, but I will say, I don't know, just a, a lot of these themes just didn't go anywhere. Um, there were some really interesting moments like, um, there are two, I won't give any spoilers but there are parallel scenes essentially for these two protagonists, for Genevieve and Eugenie. Um, a really key moment in both of their journeys through this book that are very similar and I really like the way that that was um well that parallel parallel that was drawn and how that was written I thought that was um really interesting um really clever uh but yeah other than that it was quite um I don't know I just don't think it gave much in the end there was um a nice like so much potential with the themes uh you know spirituality clairvoyancy magic um but none of it was actually like dug into on a full sort of scale if that makes sense I was kind of like I was getting to the end of the book I was running out of pages and like and nothing had happened yet or like nothing um that I was kind of expecting to happen or like all this potential and I was like well surely something's gonna happen soon like what's going on um and then it just you know never did which I thought was a real shame um because it could have been huge saying that though there were some really likable characters in it uh, it was very, um, did depict the time well, you know, um, I do think there was something a bit lost in translation where there was like this kind of expression of class, if that makes sense. So, um, where, because there wasn't kind of like another theme to social class within that and that kind of, um, division and then how actually these women are of different social classes still ended up in this same, uh, place. So there's still like a really interesting commentary there, but how that was expressed in like the way that like their dialogue for example uh was just a bit contrived i think like you don't have to write words like summer like as in are you saying summer you know <laughs> to try and express class do you know what i mean I, th I thought that was a little bit but i think that's more about the trans translation um than anything to be fair um but what i thought was interesting was well i saw a tiktok like shortly after finishing this finishing this book i saw a tiktok there's a woman who um she makes these kind of videos she's always kind of musing a lot about things she's kind of like it's her inner monologue that she's sharing it's always very interesting actually quite relatable um so there's one that she did and she was sort of musing about lots of different things and um you know contradicting things but namely about like women's place in society and how and like asking herself is it unfeminist to be at home like sewing all day while her boyfriend went out to work you know she she makes um she makes clothes for a living by the way you know that she's at home sewing all day because she makes clothes under her own indie label um but she was kind of thinking about it in terms of more like kind of conceptually rather than literally oh but anyway so following that she started getting she made this video you know it's all these kind of musings very interesting very relatable 
And then she started getting really threatening messages um, and emails. Like people found her personal email address. Uh, these men found her personal email address um, to just kind of berate her and send horrible um, messages. And I mean, I have no idea what could have been so offensive to them about this video that she made. It was very strange. Um, and it made me realise that if she'd have been alive during this time, you know, in Eugenie's day, she probably too would have been locked up in the asylum, <laughs> left to be ogled at at this mad woman's ball. So yeah, that probably was the bit, just that parallel between like finishing the book and then seeing that, that succession of videos um, probably moved me more than the book itself. Um, but do you know what? I wouldn't say that that's a reason not to read it. You know, I think it does pick up on it. It's very thought provoking, even if it doesn't delve into it, it kind of, uh, sparks, uh, something in you to then want to go and find and read more, if you know what I mean. So it's kind of inspiring in that way. I would give, I would give it that. Um, but overall, so although still with a, with a recommendation to read it, um, I would give it three stars out of five, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> My guest this week is the ethereal Helena Elias, also known as Helena Illustrated. Helena is a digital artist and illustrator and occasionally creates in traditional mediums as well, like oil paint and watercolours. She not only creates her own art, but also artworks for commercial use and personal commissions. And she is also art director for the Sacred Skulls NFT project. She's here today to talk to us about her art practices. So welcome, Helena. Thank you for being here. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. I've been really looking forward to this. I absolutely love following along with um, the, the journaling and the magazine. It's been amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's very exciting. And I'm very excited to talk to you all about your art because it's always absolutely stunning. Um, so let's start with that. And yeah, delve into a bit of your practices. Like what, tell us about your art and how you kind of go about creating it. What's your process? Um. Well, I think it's... <laughs> It's kind of a, an odd place that I, I tend to get inspiration from. I like to, when creating my own work, follow my gut quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And I'll often find sort of like I wake up or if I set out with an intention to create a certain artwork and sort of have a certain amount of ideas of where I want to go, I often find myself being led in a different direction. Mm -hmm. um, and just when sort of like I start thinking about ideas or brainstorming ideas, just certain ones will I don't know, like this feeling of rightness will settle upon me and I'll be like, this This is the next project I have to do. And I keep on trying to push myself in different directions to, you know, keep on evolving and keep on growing and all those those different things. But where I think that might go in my head is very different from where my heart tells me to go. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I try, to follow, try to follow a bit of an organic journey um, in terms of where my art originally comes from. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, well, I know we were talking about this like before we started recording, um, but this is a podcast. Uh, it's part of Witchology. You know, we tend to talk about witchcraft and the occult and like witchy things. And um, I don't know, would, you wouldn't just would you describe yourself as being kind of witchy in your ways or or not? Not so yeah. much. Or? Yeah, actually, um, more and more in recent years. So when I first started creating art, um, I definitely wouldn't have at all. I didn't really know much about the world apart from, you know, my best friend. Um, was you know very like sort of you know involved in the scene and so I I was learning quite a lot through her and all of a sudden you know I started picking up more commission works from different witches a lot of um community in America as well and learning more and more through my art 
And just as the years went on, uh, I still uh, in myself didn't identify, you know, as, you know, um, being part of the witchcraft community. I was always like, oh, I'm a bit of a guest. Like, you know, I feel so honored to be a part of it. Everyone's so lovely in it. And then, I don't know, I just sort of realized a couple of months ago, like the way I think now, the way I create my practice, the way I do things. I was like, oh, I guess actually I probably, I probably am a bit of an art witch. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's funny how I didn't sort of, identify necessarily with the words but all of the practices and the things that I learned through my art and the way I create my art all lined up perfectly um yeah. so it's it's sort of I guess you're all watching my own exploration into the spiritual I suppose uh, through my art yeah that because that's what I was thinking as you were kind of describing your process I was thinking there's so much that parallels between um between that and witchcraft and like especially that kind of calling and feeling like um oh this is something that my heart is telling me that I need to do like I need to create and then it comes out through that medium um of art rather than through um I don't know kitchen witchery or whatever your kind of specialism might be and I thought that was really interesting yeah absolutely and and sort of the more I look into sort of like the the art witch practice and stuff as well I, I realize how much there, there are similarities and things that I'm drawn to as well. Mm. Um, and a lot of the artworks that I create, I'm currently sort of out, out of my own sort of explorations in art doing a Wheel of, um, Wheel of the Year series and mm-hmm. learning about sort of the different practices there. And it's funny that in my head, I'm not like, sweet, I wish to learn about Wheel of the Year, but I'm like, oh, this is where my creativity is taking me. And my creativity is taking me on this learning process. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, through that and through all the research I have to do through the art, even though I'm not, I don't know why in my head sort of like the idea of learning through creation is different to when I just go straight out and say, this is an education project that I want to learn. But um, yeah, it's like my subconscious is like, this is, this is the path. Keep on taking this path down here. <laughs> yeah. I love that. It's like the earth and well, the sun and the, the solar cycles are kind of calling to you. So <laughs> come especially I suppose yeah. <laughs> being, um, uh, having quite an international audience of being in Australia yourself, you know, I, I guess a lot of that especially in the US we're always talking about northern hemisphere solar events and you're like well it's a complete opposite for me <laughs> yeah I found that really interesting because I, I have lived lived in the northern hemisphere in England for for a while so I kind of I don't know I feel I feel both sides and uh you know gazing up because I absolutely um love uh, astronomy as well as well as astrology but mm. looking up at the stars and seeing the stars both in the southern and the northern hemisphere and having spent a good amount of years in both and I don't know, like seeing that, yeah, as you were saying, seeing that other side where everyone says the dates of like, this is when this is going to happen and being like, oh, well, for that, not minority, but that smaller portion of people within the community in the Southern Hemisphere, this is what works for us and Mm. sort of identifying that and living in both worlds. Yeah, definitely. That's really interesting. Um, I definitely think as well, one of the biggest parallels will be, or something that's shared among artists and witches alike is symbology is thinking okay well what does this symbolize how do I mean all artists actually because even writers you think um you know what what am I trying to communicate through this image and what can I put in it that symbolizes what it is that I'm trying to say you know (laughs) yeah and it's it's really interesting how sort of I'll do a lot of research into the symbolism that will go into a piece like I really like putting little hidden things in there and sort of extra layers of meaning and that's something that's important to me rather than just creating something beautiful creating something that has a bit of story and a bit of meaning to it but I love watching how other people sort of derive extra meaning from the artwork so they'll see certain things that 
um, you know, coincide with things that are happening with them in their lives and resonate in different ways. And I think when creating an artwork, um, there's obviously that, you know, there's a large ownership of what the artwork means when it's yourself. But I, I think, especially if you are creating and, you know, sort of sharing and you, you want it to sort of be viewed, you really share it with all of the viewers and that meaning, I mean, obviously if someone takes it really, really far south of what it is and it's something that you really don't believe in, then you're like, Ooh, um, you know, I, I don't, yeah. I don't want my artwork necessarily representing that. Mm-hmm. But I, I love the idea that I can share my artworks and I'm not just the creator. It's the viewer that gets to enjoy the experience as well and come up with meaning that resonates with them. And it can slightly change per piece per person. Like it's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so interesting to kind of get those. I, I had um, uh, Che Correa on an episode. I can't remember which one it was, maybe the fourth one. And we were talking about um, art as a way of like channeling spirit, if that makes sense. If you think about uh, like tarot readers interpret those cards through, but you know, some, some not always, but um, many tarot readers kind of say it's kind of communicating or getting this kind of spirit that moves through you and communicating in that way. And then kind of using uh, artwork to kind of, do a similar thing so um even if you don't kind of attribute that meaning to it or that um what's the word I'm looking for like you don't re- or, or don't express it as it's me communicating what the spirit is telling me it's a still very similar process isn't it if it's sort of like something's calling you and you kind of and you yeah communicate it, <laughs> I suppose absolutely and I think we're all such visual beings as well like um you know whether and thinking of that um podcast episode uh, talking about everyone being creative and I, I think there is, as humans, we connect with color, we connect with certain visuals, certain lines, like it's, I really think that, that you know, there's a subconscious calling to certain artworks at different times in your life too. Mm. Um, and so I think there's a creative pro- process in everyone that's actually viewing an artwork and which ones they choose is, you know, um, it's not just, oh, I like this. There's so much going on um, behind the scenes, like behind your eyes um, that yeah. makes you really resonate with something at a certain time. Yeah, yeah, definitely definitely um so how about your um a medium I suppose mediums media (laughs) (laughs) um so you uh, tend to uh gravitate more towards digital art don't you yeah um in terms of uh, actual creation and the where I feel most connected I actually way prefer oil painting um because I find mixing the colors and the real sort of like um tactile form of it the smells um like that the act of the creation of color and the applying and sort of that texture and you can sort of feel it through your hand I always prefer that Mm. Um, but the great thing about digital and where I think I'm going to try and marry the two is you can just sort of play around with something and if you don't like the colors you can sort of slide it across that color slider and it gives you a lot more creativity in your subject matter and what you're doing whereas in oils uh, you can follow the journey there but a mistake if you've painted something the wrong color or the wrong hair color that is going to take you like a couple of hours if not yeah. longer to try and correct yeah definitely um, <laughs> yeah so I think within digital I can be more creative and I feel like the the things that I'm creating has um I don't know it, it's grown and developed a lot faster than had I been painting just in oils um but I want to try and uh, combine the two I think um yeah I, I do love digital uh, but mm-hmm. the main reason why I ended up on that more is um, just from a work point of view, you know, you can create work much faster. But mm-hmm. I, I think this is the year of combining the two a little bit more. 
Oh, I love that. That sounds really good. I'm def I'm a huge oil paint lover. I love getting the oil mm. paints out, and I have done. Um, yeah, since I when did I first was introduced to oil paints as a teenager, like while I was at school, and uh, I totally agree with that kind of texture and getting that kind of layering up and being able to start with, um, like starting with any color. Like I know, like with watercolor, you know, you have to start with um with light and then gradually build the dark into it. But with oils, you can kind of mix it up and because you can just layer it up <laughs> Can't just... absolutely and it's a lot more forgiving too I've, I've had a couple of comments where people are like you know you're very detail orientated like you know there's a level of perfection in your piece but <laughs> when you actually get to know me I am the uh I don't know if saying the antithesis of perfection is um the quite quite the right way of saying it but there's I am very like sort of a bit more of a chaotic person I love sort of like the messy application of things um not getting things absolutely perfect I love sort of the you know organic nature of things so when it comes to watercolors you know and you have to be like well I just put on that one piece of you know color on there <laughs> that has to stay I can't get rid of that I can't keep yeah. on working into it and there's a, a beauty in the simplicity of um, not overworking that piece whereas oil paints you can keep on working into it and doing different colors and seeing where it takes you and I much prefer that yeah yeah absolutely um yeah, so, I mean, there are two very, I guess, human things about both of those methods, isn't it? Like with um, the oil paint and the watercolour and kind of being able to be that kind of chaotic energy and <laughs> feeling where it's going and kind of, and you have, there's, a, there's an element of commitment to it still because you're physically committing something to something else and like bonding them. Whereas with the digital art, I know that a lot of, um, you know, there's often discourse around it saying how it's like um, not as human or not as whatever as as a um as kind of physical media or do you know what I mean maybe physical isn't the right word but, but uh or like painting um but actually it is because it, it does it just plays into that human nature of not wanting to be committal you know I want to be able to move these elements around and have lots of layers because I might decide that I like that better there and you know being able to get a whole composition rather than <laughs> you know yeah absolutely and I feel quite passionate about it as well because um you know sort of the traditional art mediums and the traditional paints and and things um there can occasionally be that sort of divide between digital artists and traditional artists and um this sort of looking down on digital art as well you've got all these extra tools isn't that making it easier for you um but you know I'm I'm still there sat with my you know pen and iPad and I'm still drawing those lines and uh you know I may have assistance uh, with changing the colors and things but I still have to pick the colors that go on and mm -hmm. and work around that and I think as well you look at sort of all of the older art areas like the the one that everyone knows you know Van Gogh for instance everyone looked at his new way of painting and his new art style and you know really poo-pooed it yeah. <laughs> back in the day and you think about too like uh, back then and through the different eras the different qualities of paint if they had the quality of oil paint that we have these days and the mediums that they could mix into them and the yeah, high quality canvases, they would look at that and be like, well, I have to work a lot harder with my little like crappy sort of mix of yeah. this particular paint and working on this. And I think sort of digital art is, it, it, technology should be embraced, I think. And I think that it's just a new form of art. It's still artworks um, because art is so much more than technical skill. You look at, for instance, Tracy Emmons' bed or mm -hmm. um, I can't remember the artist that had the toilet in the art museum. I know that's a bit controversial sometimes, but 
art is the creativity and the thought that you put behind something and it's not about your technical skill necessarily because you mm. that's a whole different branch of thing being like they are a very good technical painter but I think art is something so much more that comes from your soul mm. um, and digital art is just another tool that that really helps us display that and it's it's that next movement on in history and it'll be interesting in a couple of hundred years to look back and when they talk about digital art and see how that discourse goes and where you know where technology has gone from there yeah yeah exactly um I guess we'll see if anyone's still creating art then because maybe it's all been taken over by artificial <laughs> intelligence <laughs> oh my god that's a scary thought <laughs> but, oh I think it's it's a discussion that so many artists are having at the moment about AI and uh, I'm sure you've you've felt the same seeing sort of um you know on the social platforms everyone talking mm. about it and I'm as, as I said before I think technology should always be embraced but my biggest problem with AI at the moment is just you know where the discussion is at the moment that so many artists are having their works referenced without their permission and mm. you know you you look at some of the ones of Lenza and so on the, <laughs> on the topic of creative research yeah <laughs> um, I just for I guess people can't see me I did the inverted uh fingers air quotes yeah creative research yeah that's it um I did a couple of the the lens of portrait generations because I'm like I you know and I, I need to see where I suppose competition if that's the right word I need to see where that competition is because mm-hmm. you know people are getting these artistic portraits made of them um and you know usually that's where I do a bunch of commission works and working with people to to put their spiritual um, elements in and so that they could have an artwork of themselves and a good thing about that or Lenza and because I'll always say the good with the bad is I love that it's bringing art to people who can't afford commissions Mm -hmm. because it it takes me a lot of hours to create an artwork and you know I've got to try and you know put food on the table and, and keep myself afloat and while I've tried to really narrow down the amount of hours it takes to create an artwork to make it more affordable to people, it's it's still not a cheap price. Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, I I know as an artist, I know what it's like to to really have to trim the fat off your budget. Um, so Lenza is bringing art to people who wouldn't otherwise have it and allowing them to see pictures of themselves, artistic form. But looking at some of those artworks, I'm like, oh, I can see they're referencing that artwork artist there and that one there, and you can literally see perfect bits nicked from other artworks and it's like that that's not on I think they yeah there's a lot of hours and work that they put into their businesses and it's just being taken which yeah I think they need to figure out a way around that yeah definitely because there are kind of like two two discussion points on it are there all two that I can think like that are in my mind right now um and that is the like what like what is the crux of the issue is it that um it's the stealing the art and it's sort of taking something uh, again coming back to that kind of question of human creation is it taking something human away from it or is it the theft of or like the violation of privacy essentially you know if you if you can't if companies can't collect and sell your data without permission in terms of like your phone number and your email address and how much you use the internet or whatever why is it that they can do it with art because that's essentially exactly what's happened isn't it <laughs> they've kind of taken absolutely yeah yeah, and I think it's such a new uh, new phenomenon, really. Like when you think about it, we first started hearing about mid-journey, maybe like early mid last year, um, and then all of a sudden it just exploded onto the scene and everyone's, you know, all the different apps are using it now. Even um, 
Canva is using it. I remember my husband going on there um, to do some, you know, easy graphic design for work because <laughs> I'm like, go use Canva. I don't have time to help. <laughs> I'm an awful wife. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they, they now have it as part of their integrated system. Um, and actually thinking of Canva, that's where I was like, I wonder if that, that could be the fix as per sort of stealing art because there were these discussions when they first started coming out and the graphic design community being like, you know, this is taking jobs from graphic design. Um, you know, you, you cheapening our, our work and our resources, but it, they are hiring a lot on a lot of graphic designers and they're paying for that work. And, um, all of the elements that they use have been created by creatives. So I was like, I wonder if that could parallel into the AI, but, I guess the amount of artworks that they need to reference. I, I know that's not as feasible, but I think a good parallel there to be drawn about it taking, you know, is art still going to be relevant um, when AI keeps on taking over the art scene is, I mean, absolutely. You can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but in terms of graphic design jobs, people are still hiring graphic designers because you can tell if something's made on Canva. Mm -hmm. And as an artist, you can absolutely tell when something is made on Midjourney or Lenza. Like you can spot an AI piece. Yeah. Um, or at least I find I can. I've, yeah, I'm interested to see where that goes. And that really ties into what I was saying before about art, where it's not, art is so much more than your technical skill. And AI mm. can create these really technically beautiful, beautiful pieces. But there is, and I, again, I don't know if it's because I'm so connected to, you know, my spirituality within my art process. There's something a little bit cold about them. And, and you can kind of yeah. you can kind of feel that difference. And when someone's created it, um, it is that cr active creation that is making it an art piece. And I think people will resonate with that. And I think yeah. they'll feel the coldness towards yeah. the AI pieces. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've had two thoughts there that are contrasting. I'm trying to think, decide which one to go with first. But it does link, though, because I was looking at um, the... So copyright in the UK, copyright law, um, AI images are not actually protected by it because <laughs> it literally says in there that it has to... For a work to be original, it must be the author's own intellectual creation, you know, and it has to be... Um, so a copyright, I'm sorry, I'm reading it now. A copyright work may be created by a human who has assistance from AI if the work expresses original human creativity, um, which is really interesting, isn't it? So it's like, so you can, you can, you can make an AI, a completely AI art piece, but that isn't recognized as human creation. So isn't therefore copyrighted. <laughs> Yeah, I heard about, I can't remember the, um, the sort of, uh, art creator who did it, but someone did the first um AI comic book I think it was and they tried mm -hmm. to get it copyrighted and then I think it got revoked because of that that exact same law and yeah, you hear yeah. other stories about artists who there was one in America who entered an art competition and won uh, and didn't quite it wasn't very open about disclosing where where it was from and then they realized it was AI art and yeah. you know their argument was well I still created it and that there is a level of creativity that goes into creating it. on mid journey you have to write all of your different words and your different prompts and then it's not as easy as just an image coming up you have to keep mm. them refining down so you know in the topic of creativity is more than just technical skill of art there's this creativity in in wordsmithery to create mm -hmm. the artworks so I don't know that there, there is that human element there but I, I think we're not 
uh, there's not quite enough information and um, uh, evolution of AI art yet to be able to yeah. figure out how to navigate that line and whether it's just us being scared of a new tool um or or not so it's yeah, yeah it's a really interesting one it's a really interesting point because um in that case technically the thing the copyrightable bit would be those words that they they put together and that curation of those specific prompts that's the copyright not the not the image that it's then created <laughs> yes yeah absolutely and i yeah i think that image that they created still can't be copyrighted necessarily because of that issue of the fact that it's drawing from all of these different yeah. artists like it, sometimes i'm sure you've seen it it actually pulls a signature down the bottom and it puts yeah. some poor artist signature down the bottom and uh, yeah it's yeah, it's like trying to emulate the look but <laughs> yeah i think the, the weirdest thing i found about ai i think the other point that i was thinking of a minute ago was um is and I guess we we kind of don't want to go down the rabbit hole because it kind of takes us up in a whole other topic, but um, just uh, people's discernment and their critical thinking skills, because I've seen things pop up so many times. Like one of the really obvious things with knowing if a, a piece of art is AI is if it's got hands in it, there are always seven fingers or, you know, the hands yeah. are always wrong. They're always weird. Or an eye is looking off in one direction and people have to keep on editing them back. to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I've seen, it was like a collection of um, images that were all like, look how much these people, these people look like they're dogs or like, you know, dog owners and dogs or like looking like each other. And there were so many comments on it saying, oh, wow, oh, this is really beautifully captured by the photographer and all oh, blah, blah, blah. And like, this is, and it was literally AI. Um, but no, people just don't have that level of discernment. So I think maybe that's what people are worried about. Like, although artists can can see it um because you're kind of trained to look at things differently or you kind of naturally have that that eye yeah that's the bit that makes maybe yeah well absolutely and I guess um you know that that's where it starts falling into that whole photography thing as well like I'm, I'm sure you've seen it before where people are like uh look at this uh dolphin cuddling a dog you'll never believe what happens next and I'm like that ah, dog is clearly photoshopped <laughs> that is yeah. not in there <laughs> and it's really hard to be able to discern reality from you know falsehoods when it comes to photographs and it's a bit sad that it's come to that because photography is such a a wonderful beautiful form of art and even um my my parents get a an Australian geographic calendar every year and you know it's showcasing beautiful works um of photographers across Australia and I've always had a really high regard for it. But the first photo, it had um, an island nearby that had a lot of penguins on it. I'm like, those penguins are photoshopped. Immediately, I could see they were photoshopped in. And yeah. it, it, it does start to like detract there where you look at the rest of it. And you're like, well, is, is this real photography? And I suppose, mm. you know, photoshopping and uh, doctoring the photo and all that, that's part of the photographer's skills. Like you don't just point and click. There's, there's a lot of skill that goes into um altering the colors and reworking mm -hmm. that uh, that's all part of the photographer's job but yeah as you were saying that not being able to tell what what is real what is not with what's ai art what's not um and training it will take years and years and generations to pass to sort of get that inherent sort of knowledge and knowing what it looks like but by then look how fast ai has grown now <laughs> it's gonna yeah. it's yeah. gonna keep on going like that yeah definitely definitely um when I was kind of well I mean it's always it's everywhere isn't it and I guess it, we're kind of seeing these stories all the time but when um 
before we started recording, just having a little look at um, what other things are kind of going around and this um, class action lawsuit now against um, against Stability AI, the ones that created um, mm. Stable Diffusion, the thing that powers Lenza. Um, and just like trying to understand what the what the biggest issue is there. And again, coming back to this point of, is it like this, the theft of privacy, but is it because we are so inherently connected to our art when we create something it's like and again coming back to that kind of connection with witchcraft as well like when we are creating and crafting something it comes from a place that's so personal to have it it, it feels almost like a violation doesn't it to kind of have that taken away from you and, and bastardized essentially into into an inhuman piece of art I feel like that that's got to be the the emotion like behind behind it all really <laughs> Absolutely. And I feel like um, it really, I'm probably going to massacre the pronunciation of this word. It really like tri trivial trivializes. Yeah. Trivializes? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> it really <laughs> trivializes your work as well, because it takes me hours upon hours, if not days um, for, a, you know, a, an oil painting piece weeks to try and create these artworks. And so much of your soul goes into it. Like, a, I don't know, um, when I did a huge oil painting, my, my first exhibition back in um, Ho Chi Minh, and I created, I think it was something like uh, 21, 21 pieces. And that took me months and months and just 14, 16 hour days in front of that canvas. I, at the end of it, I felt like in a good way, like my soul was just, it had gone through the biggest workout and I just felt drained, but in a really like good way, like a kind of post gym way or yeah. uh, when I finished a really big project, which I wish I could talk about, but I still can't. I still have gag orders on it. No. <laughs> we'll, uh, figure out about that later. But I had to spend weeks of sort of recovering creatively because I'd given so much of myself into it, not just time wise, but so much goes into the act of creation and, and you feel like you're, you're giving pieces of yourself up and, and it takes time to heal to have something just generate an artwork within 10 minutes mm. it yeah it, it really I don't know all of a sudden you sat there being like wow yeah <laughs> that, that whole soul that feeling everything I went through the journey I went on those hours those days those weeks this is just creating something as if not more visually beautiful than what I created in a couple of minutes and it yeah it definitely doesn't feel good <laughs> yeah yeah definitely and if it's um if that is those arts are taking those pieces of art are taking your um I don't know your style and like something that you've taken years to craft like one little way that you uh present a body part or you know that this is the way you always draw clouds or there's something that's really personal that's sort of like you've honed over all that time and someone's just trained an AI with it that then just reproduces it without any of that kind of journey and that meaning behind it yeah and I, I think so much of art is is about the journey and you know uh, what you're putting into it and again uh the exploration it's not always about the um end product uh what's that really good uh quote uh journey before destination mm -hmm. and I feel like a, a good art piece is that but I suppose on on that flip side of uh, again I guess it's a different uh group of people but when you get people collecting an art um they'll often sort of save up money and buy from the artist because they're investing in the artist and who they are I think mm. with social media people are feeling so much more connected to the person and they are collecting pieces you know maybe they couldn't afford that really big beautiful oil painted canvas from them but the artist does prints or they do little postcard prints which is all they can afford at the moment 
so they'll buy that even though it's not the art piece that they want because they're Mm -hmm. like I wish to be a part of this artist journey and I you know I'm, I'm following along with what they do and I think social media has let us do that and talk to people a bit more and have them involved in that rather than just at a gallery so Mm. you know at um the Australian stores called Spotlight but at those like Home Depot places um you can buy those those artworks that some artist has you know sold the licensing for and you can get it for really cheap and have art up in your home but people often won't buy that they'll wait and they'll save up and buy from the artist because they want to be a part of that artist's journey. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's an example of, you know, while there are people who still buy those arts from those, you know, those Home Depot kind of places, because again, um, I always like to think about and bring back up privilege. And because of the hours it takes to create art, art can be quite expensive. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people out there, they can't afford that. And I think, you know, we really need to always keep that in mind there. So people are still buying and a lot of people are buying stuff from that, but it, it's not taken over the art business uh, yeah. at all. And I wonder whether that's the same with AI, mm. whether people will still be like, well, I, I you know, want to invest in artists and their personal journey. So I think there's a big scare at it at the moment, but I have absolute faith that it's just another piece of technology. It's another tool that we'll figure out how to use as well. And yeah, I, I think people do recognize that there's a lot more to it yeah yeah definitely 100 percent um every, people are just still going to keep creating because it's human nature so you know and there will always be an audience for it if that's what what you want or you know or you have to develop a different relationship with your art in that it's for you and and that's it you know it doesn't have to be commercially available <laughs> yeah well. absolutely and maybe it will free free things up as well like I'm I'm such a big fan of not being afraid of new technologies and being you know and embracing things and again like it's the the privacy reason that I'm like oh I can't quite embrace AI yeah but yeah. you know I, I have used it a bit to again like explore and be like you know I'm not going to be afraid of these new tools and I'm going to see what I can do there's for instance in that NFT project the sacred skulls NFT that's generative art mm-hmm. so for the uh, skulls drop um, it's all different kind of skulls I went and hand created every artistic element that went into it so it's not AI but a web developer went and built a code that would then auto generate with some exclusions that are written in such as, you know, this um, red skull can't be paired with this red pattern that goes over the top because it wouldn't look Mm -hmm. very good. So it was very human involvement between me and the dev creating that and what it would look like. But then it went and auto populated 8,888 skulls, which (laughs) I'd never be able to draw that. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and, you know, it was, you know, it, it was technology putting something together and it was combining things in ways that I, I never would have thought of. And we mm-hmm. did an- another collection recently that was of portrait art, actually. And that took me a lot longer, as you can imagine, because uh, I think it was something like 18 different trait categories that I needed to work against and they all needed to line up perfectly and pages upon pages of things that couldn't couldn't go together. But looking at that, it's almost inspired me for different art practices because I've gone, oh, I never would have thought to put this particular crown with this geometrical background and it's creating these shapes that, you know, look quite beautiful and put together, but it's, yeah, it's quite different. Mm-hmm. And I I feel like I know we were chatting about it just before, people almost, when that's been generated like that, people feel a bit more ownership over the selection of an artwork and 
and being able to read their own meanings into it because when I create a piece of artwork obviously I'm and writing um, a lot of my own sort of messages that I want to put through. And, and often, you know, people are picking up on those communications that I put through, even though, you know, everyone reads into it how they want to. But with a piece of generative art, I've put, you know, everything on the selection plate and then it pulls from every from all the different, like if you kind of imagine it as a food plate and it's like someone being able to go to a buffet and and pick what they want and what meaning they want to go into it and it's been amazing watching people create their own stories around these pieces so I think that's an example of how you know without stealing other people's work or still having a lot of creative thought that goes into it uh, technology can be embraced mm, I love that and I, I love that as a message to kind of close this um, conversation on what a lovely thing to take away into us as well but um, embracing changes and th- especially when they force us out of our comfort zone <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I think if something makes you feel uncomfortable, it's we tend to sort of like shy away from it. But, um, you know, I, f- I feel like people within that spiritual community are, tend to be quite good as well of being like, oh, OK, why are we feeling uncomfortable? Like, where can we work into this further and, and how can we, you know, adopt this into our lives of practice and, and become friends with it, really? Yeah, absolutely. It's another opportunity for shadow work, which is always good. Yeah. <laughs> which is great and aligned with art as well I feel like yeah yeah, sometimes sometimes. yeah Yeah. (laughs) amazing thank you so much I think I've got one more question for you before we um obviously completely unrelated to anything I need to know (laughs) there well I'm trying to think of a parallel if there were a gonna be a Helena Elias movie um I'm trying to think of a kind of movie that it might be like it depends on how into horror you are. It could be like Velvet Buzzsaw, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Uh, oh my gosh! Yeah. Who, would, who would play you in that movie? Um, oh, uh, there's that thing of like you know how some artists you resonate with, like from a, a an acting point of view, and then you're like, oh, how much do they actually have to look like me, or like you know? Yeah, um, it could be vibe. It doesn't have to be look. Yeah, probably. yeah. <laughs> um, maybe oh, probably one of either two actresses. Uh. Uh, Anya Taylor Joy, maybe. Yeah. So I feel like she's kind of got that like creative, quirky sort of uh, vibe to her. She, I mean, who would ever be sad having her act that oh, in the yeah. movie? <laughs> um, or I mean, looks nothing like me, but is an absolute as well. Seems like from the screen and everything I've seen, an absolute gem. Uh, Lily James um, from I mean I am obsessed with Mamma Mia too as well. So <laughs> slightly biased, but I feel like there's something about that like positive bubbly energy but I don't know how interesting a movie of Helene Illustrated would be because it'd be like sat staring at a canvas maybe you'd need a lot of like (laughs) in a monologue (laughs) otherwise every day would just be and she's painting again (laughs) (laughs) I don't know all your travels and adventures and things and yeah you know yeah so you can cut out the long bits and it can be a montage like (laughs) yeah true yeah both excellent choices I can see those I think they'd be yeah they could they pull you off I think (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, wonderful well thank you so much it's been such an interesting conversation um again I know I say this at the end of every episode but I honestly could have talked about this all day and uh, especially about oil paints (laughs) as well um yeah and how many oil paintings are unfinished in this room (laughs) Um, absolutely thank you so much Thank you so much for having me on. I, I feel the same. I'm so used to like with conversations, like getting like other questions in. And I'm like, oh, no, I want to ask you about your art practice. But we'll have to have another <laughs> chat another day. We will. Uh, we yeah. will have to. <laughs> it's been such a joy. I loved, loved chatting to you.
Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you very much for tuning in again today. It has been an absolute pleasure. If you like this episode, you can enjoy it ad-free by becoming a Witchology subscriber. Not only do you get access to this podcast and lots of bonus episodes, you will also get a print subscription to our magazine as well as cauldrons full of additional content on our exclusive members area on the website. Head to www.witchologymagazine.com forward slash subscriptions to find out more. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.